Hello and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray and this is the 65th episode in a weekly series called Crossover Journey. Here with me is Aaron Gromish, the community manager and developer from that game company, Austin Wintry, the composer for Journey, Monaco and others, and Andy Schatz, if I'm pronouncing that right, is that right? Schatz? Schatz. 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 Yeah, like, 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 yeah, shots. The creator of Monaco and multiple-time host of IGF at GDC. Welcome, guys. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are you? <laughs> also with me is my co-host for the day, John C5, who is an artist friend of mine and a big fan of your work, and he would hurt me with some unexpected friendly fire if I did not include him in this interview today. So he is here with you. Hi. I, I can't say that is not untrue. It is. That's fine. <laughs> Last week's episode was a discussion with Edmund McMillan and Tommy Refinis about Super Meat Boy, the game for iOS, The Binding of Isaac Expansion, Wrath of the Lamb. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Thursday, May 24th, and we are going to discuss that game company, Journey, and possibly Monaco, and learn more about our guests so, chat room, we will take questions at the end if you save them for later, and John will get to you, so hang on to the end. Let's start with news of the week. Here's a story I'd like to share with you guys and see what your thoughts are. Some groundbreaking news in gaming was revealed this week uh, with Tryon World's MMO Defiance. And Tryon Worlds is trying to do something interesting. They're creating a new dynamic where events happen in the game, and also those events are paralleled in their new sci-fi network TV show. So basically, uh, I'm learning from Opposable Thumbs gaming site that... Four years in the making, the team behind Defiance is unveiling details about the game, which will be available on PC, PS3, and Xbox, and the show. And the show is set in the near future. It's built on the premise of a group of alien ships crashing and landing on Earth. And they had some neat stories where there were certain scenarios where, let's say, you have to get a vaccine for a character in the game. And if somebody achieves that in the game, their name will be mentioned on the show, and suddenly you'll see those characters have a vaccine. So what do you think about this parallel between like, gaming and TV and having them run simultaneously? It was kind of an interesting idea, I thought. Let's go with you. Andy, I know you have something to say. Huh? Um, I always have something to say. Uh, that sounds like a complete fail to me. <laughs> okay. Tell um, me why. It, uh, it, sound, it sounds to me like uh, someone, is, is someone in our marketing department had an idea for a game about how to cross-promote products um, rather than making a good game. Um, okay. If, if okay. anyone... If anyone's going to, to break into the MMO market, it's not going to be because uh, because two or three people a week get their name mentioned on TV. Um, uh, there there have been many attempts at taking World of Warcraft off its throne, or at least uh, at least sort of finding a, a space in the pantheon of of MMOs, even underneath uh, World of Warcraft, and um, unless. The, the, the game itself is fantastic, which it could be, I have no idea. Um, that as a, as a, if that's the, the core selling concept of the game, um, uh, good luck. 
Yeah, I, I always actually, I mean, it's funny, I like those ideas in concept. Um, and uh, uh, of the, of the, the like, multimedia uh, world, uh, mm. a narrative that spans uh, different, different things, you know, like if you were playing an MMO, and, but you subscribed to a audio story podcast, like audio fiction, where like backstory of that world or something would impact the game or so, you know, things like that. I'm always intrigued by that, but I've yet to ever see one that's actually done in a way. Every attempt I've ever come across of someone trying anything remotely like that, it's always just horribly cheesy for the reasons that you're describing because it's like they don't have the bandwidth to make any one particular aspect of it amazing. Right. And so it ends up being the, the, the watered down. I mean, if, if but you I, really want to make an MMO succeed right now, you need to make it not like World of Warcraft. Because if you try and make it like World of Warcraft, everyone who's attempted to do that has failed. You know, you, you can't just make World of Warcraft with a twist. It doesn't work. Yeah, and maybe that's not their... I, uh, it's, you know, they had, they had a, some serious people behind this thing. I remember seeing the same article. Um, and uh, so, you know, it could be, it could be really cool. Um, but it's definitely a it's a risky endeavor, and not just because of the the infrastructure needed, which is also huge. Um, does, does anyone remember uh, Bar Karma that Will Wright tried to do? He tried to do a very similar concept, but it was mostly about the television show, and he was trying to basically crowdsource his story out to, um, I guess, people would log into a website and create content for it. Um, but yeah, I guess the back you need a strong backbone. They tried to do their background their background backbone to be a show and it didn't I think it lasted ten episodes. Um and I guess the, the fan content just really wasn't there. What do you think, Aaron? These are all interesting ideas, the, but the MMO market's really tough right now because unless you're gonna start small, which I think is the right way to approach the MMO market, um, start small and keep your costs low. Um, and then and then build up from there. I, I know Minecraft is not an MMO, but it but you can see uh, that you know the growth of Minecraft as as the way that a, a, an MMO could grow um, right now. But if you go in with a big budget MMO, um, you're really stuck between a rock and a hard place. In that um, a broad market um, wants to see something that is familiar to them, to them, so they want to see something that is similar to World of Warcraft. But uh, World of Warcraft is the king and, and, and will be still for a long time. Um, and, and so it's, it's, you're just stuck between a rock and a hard place if you're trying to do a big-budget MMO right now. I think it's good to go in the direction that they are, which is uh, you know crash-landing on a planet and basically trying to survive. There's been a couple shows like that recently where you're getting away from the more medieval-based you know, World of Warcraft genre, you know, even Rift, which, uh, which they had done, Triumph just had done as well. You know, at least in a different kind of genre. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, I don't know. Sci-fi channel shows are not usually long-lasting. <laughs> oh. well, we will see. All right, Aaron, do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's like kind of uh, cool that they're doing that, um, especially when you uh, bridge like various, like uh, when you when you bridge like social media and uh, various different things, like connecting. Uh, television to what people are saying online or video games and whatnot. Um, it, uh, there's this like artistic integrity sort of thing that might get kind of thrown out. Like, well, one person wants to happen with the story. The audience can say like, screw you. Although sometimes it is good. Like with Lost, 
Um, there are these two characters that they tried to throw in there that no one liked, and they lasted like five, six episodes or something. And they basically threw these characters in there to try to drag the show out longer. And uh, yeah, so the the fans were just were just kind of angry, and they're like, "We don't like these characters. We want the show to end." <laughs> and it, it it at least that like really showed that um they should um uh, like not do what they're doing. So it's I I think it's interesting. Um, it it'll take a long time to get the concept like working. Um, but when it does work, I think uh, it will probably be like amazing. So nice. Um, I'm I'm all for crowdsourcing, but but you also have to look at a, at a show like Breaking Bad, where they are ending the show at the point where they feel like the show is supposed to end, even though it's peaking in popularity. If you if you give you know control to your fans about where your plot goes, or say fans have a favorite character, and so you bring that character back for for more and more seasons, you actually make the show more predictable. Um, and I always find that disappointing when they when there's a a, a fun niche character. Um, in one season of a show that is brought back for sort of a full-time character in a following season, it it makes it, it makes the whole show more predictable because things are based on popularity. It's kind of like bringing Boba Fett back to to you know be the center of the Star Wars universe when one of the things that was so cool about him was the mystery behind him. Yeah, the the a good example of that is comparing the British versus American Office, uh, where the the British Office is like it's like. Tw- 20 episodes or something is the whole show. It's mm-hmm. so short, and it's such a it's like a specific arc, you know? And the American one, they'll just go until, indefinitely. Right, until uh, ratings get bad. Until ratings get bad, yeah. Even yeah. though even though all their all their all the arcs that I love and I'm I'm a fan of the show still, but at the same time, like those arcs have played out right. and and uh, they're basically just limping along. Yeah, I, th- I think you just need to allow the show to retain its authority retain its authorial uh, uh, integrity. integrity, rather than allowing uh, popularity and, and user-driven right. enthusiasm to drive the, the content. Because then you have the flip of that, is Firefly, which had like zero fan input because it got cancelled before anybody had heard of it, and now it's like the most revered thing imaginable. Right. Uh, so, you know, there you go. We got quite a lot of mileage out of your news of the week here. That's true. That's okay. Uh, conflicting opinions are good. I think a lot of people have spin-offs for that reason, where you take a character and people want to see more of that character, so you just take it out of the series and make it something built around that, and that's how you that's can solve that. Yeah, I mean, Angel was, I think, yeah. show than Buffy, even though I loved, love and loved Buffy. Angel was like a more mature show. Well, uh, and everyone can agree that Real Housewives of Orange County is a far better show than Atlanta. Well, no, Real Housewives yeah, of Orange County was a spin-off. <laughs> Of you know the Incredible Spider-Man <laughs> and uh, mm, mutant powers, sort of okay. Yeah, well, mutation. Uh. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go to news of the week. Uh, Austin, how about you go first? Is there news of the week? Well, I was joking about the Chinese teleportation thing, but my my cool news of the week is that I was able to finally announce my long-held secret uh, that I'll be that Journey is being added to the Video Games Live Tour and that I'll be conducting the premiere of it at uh, the Nokia Center here in L.A. on June 6th. I uh, thought you just said when the 23rd. Did I misread that? There was some place that... Yeah, May 23rd. I thought, wow, did you just finish that? Okay, maybe it was... Uh, I mean, I was just... Uh, nothing happened. Isn't the 23rd yesterday? Mm-hmm. I was like, didn't you just conduct a 100-piece orchestra at the Nokia Center in California? I thought I read that yesterday. Uh, I, yesterday, yesterday I, I announced it. Oh, you announced it. Okay, but it's coming yeah. in when? June what? 6th. Very nice. So, that must be exciting. 
Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, it, I, I've been uh, planning it, preparing the things that need to be prepared uh, for the last, like, six weeks or something, But and, and I kept getting messages on Twitter like, oh, it would be so cool if we saw Journey in Video Games Live, and I was like, yeah, that would be. Uh, and, <laughs> I know nothing I, of it. Not my tongue, but, but obviously, like, exploding with excitement over it, so... Yes, that's my that's my news of the week because I can finally announce that. I have to say, you uh, have convinced John and I both to buy the score, which we just did, and it's been very fun. I want to ask you what your favorite song is, but I'm going to wait and save that for later. What your favorite one you wrote? So think about it. Yeah, I already know my answer to that, but which will be interested to see how you like my answer to that. But okay. uh, I may even play it for the listeners. Do do whatever. You want to do. <laughs> I My favorite is the whole thing because you can't listen to one piece on on its own. It's my favorite is the MIDI version. Aaron, what's your news of the week? I can't exactly like remember it thing that I did. <laughs> or, like, you had a lot of interviews. Uh, man. You can hear me, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. I um, let's see. I think like uh, if you have any news of the week? Uh, you can tell me what your fan art uh, Skype sort of logo like your your avatar um on skype mm. I, if you don't have news of the week i would like to know the origin of that image because i have not seen it and i thought i had seen a lot of the fan art like uh that's something that someone put up on our facebook page and i'm pretty sure that you can go to the to the either the journey facebook page or the that game company facebook page and you can see that there that's like a a blend of uh, naruto and that game and and journey so uh they like there's like this uh black one character or something i i've i don't like um so i don't know but uh, apparently like there's that black with the red cloud design so some people just mix that in there um but i i will say like uh i don't my i just thought of something the news of the week is like the whole uh big big studios like or 38 Studios or whatever it's called, yeah. big huge games, whatever. That, that thing that's uh, that's interesting, seeing how that's going. But yeah. Yeah, 38 Studios closing. What do you think the reason behind that is? Just financial? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's the whole thing where um, where they're asking for money. Uh, well, it's it's where it's the it's a problem like with the loan. Like they're asking for money before they. Like so, basically, in order to pay off this, they'd have to get more loans. Um, so it's like they—the only income that they've had at this point is just from the sale of one game, and they're working on a huge um, MMO. And so they—they they really need to like wait until they finish the game to actually start making like payments on that. It's a, uh, but it's that's how like the whole loan structure works. Is right when you take the loan, you have to start making payment payments, which doesn't make sense when you're. Uh, making something that has like a three, four, five year long development cycle, but that's that's all a problem on its own. Well, so yeah. otherwise, I think they they probably would be doing fine. Okay. But they they it seems like they they try to go into publishing, but they should have more so have uh, like had a publisher fund them instead. But anyways, we can talk about that for a long time. Okay. <laughs> Andy, what's your news of the week? Um, probably smaller. Uh, um, it's it's minor and 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 for me it it, it it's just applicable to me. Um, uh, they um, announced that the that Overkill, the guys who made Payday the Heist, which you know has as 
generally not created a ton of enthusiasm. No, they haven't been able to create a ton of enthusiasm around that game. They announced a collaboration with Valve. They haven't announced what that collaboration is. It's the Left 4 Dead team that they're working with, which makes a lot of sense. Okay. It's basically Left 4 Dead as a heist. Um, uh, and, um, you know, it's sort of recreating Eat. Um, and, uh, of course, Monaco is a, is a heist game, so I'm, I'm sort of crossing my fingers that they are not going in on a, a Valve collaboration heist game. Um, uh, for my own personal reasons, but at the same time, I think that would be awesome. Um, but every time Valve has, has brought in other studios to to work on games, they they've come up with a new property that um, that it becomes huge. Um, Valve tends to be uh, really good at drawing in talent and and letting that talent flourish. Um, so uh, so while I have no idea what they're doing, and while this may only excite me. Um, or, or interest me, or cause great trepidation and fear in me. Um, I do think it's it's very interesting. It's not something about this often, and usually when they do it, they come out with a Counter Strike or a Team Fortress or a Portal or you know or any of these games. Something uh, innovative for sure. For Dead, Left for Dead, basically, all, all, pretty much all of their non Half Life properties have been from a team that they brought in from the outside. Um, so, so to, even though it's not much of a news item, it's there's definitely something there um, that that uh, is worth keeping your eye on. Very nice. So, for you, are you going to make more vlogs? I only see one vlog on Monaco. Yeah. Oh no, I think I think that on the Monaco page they, it just displays one on the front page. But if you go to my YouTube channel, um, you'll oh. see. There's about I think I've only done about four, four or so. Um, I definitely would like to do more. Um, uh, it, in terms of, it's, it, I don't like think, I don't like really talking about the way that, the way that I approach, uh, um, uh, media and the way that I approach reaching out to fans and things. I don't really like t- talking about it in, in marketing terms because I don't, I don't feel comfortable thinking about it that much in that regard. I, I think it's, it's better if you don't think about it in that regard and, and think about it more as a, a, a genuine relationship with your fans. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's it's difficult not to to think about um, oh have I you know have I oversaturated the market? Did I, was I too early with my my marketing on Monaco? Is it would it be a good idea for me to be quiet and just put my head down and finish the game, or do I need to be ramping up the hype as I get, you know pull into the runway on this thing? Um, and it's all totally open ended questions, and uh, often the answers to them are inspired by circumstance and not strategy. Um, uh, but that's sort of a long-winded answer to why I haven't had a vlog in a while, but I, w- I would love to do some more, and, and uh, circumstances will just end up dictating whether or not I do. Put up a little post that says you don't like talking about your flair. <laughs> All right, let's talk about that game company. You guys just had your six-year birthday, I believe, on May 15th or so, and I understand that you just welcomed two new members. And uh, Is it Sunny or Suni and Vincent? It's Sunny. Sunny, studio manager and in-house audio director. So a reading about your philosophy was kind of interesting. It says that you want to create timeless entertainment that makes positive changes to the human psyche worldwide. And I was wondering if you think that's reflected in the languageless use of your games. It seems like they don't really fit one culture totally, but they have elements and sounds from different ones. What would you say about that, Aaron? Yeah, like that's completely true. Um, one thing that... Uh, well, one thing that I'll, I'll equate it with, since I'm in the music industry, uh, like, I, like not many 
Oh, uh, yes. I'm, I work at that game company kind of as like a side job because I love the company so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I'm, I'm mainly in the music industry and with music, they say it's like, uh, like they say music is universal, but it's like not truly universal because, uh, like language can make it like harder for other people to really connect with a song as much as it can with someone that knows the, knows that, knows the, like, uh, the language that the music is sung in. Um, and with, uh, um, yeah, so like with our games, like we purposely don't put, like put as few words as there and we, as we can, even like for describing things. Um, like, so like when you start up journey, you see, like it just shows you how to move the controller and which, th- like which buttons to press to do what. Um, and like, so it just makes the game, like, uh, it makes our games really accessible, like by not saying anything. And, uh, it's also, um, like with Journey and, uh, yeah, with Journey by having the whole call thing where you can just basically like make some noise that Austin made and, uh, um, yeah, like with that, um, it's kind of like a language of its own. That's like that you're still like communicating with these other people, but it's something that um, no one, like, really knows what's being said. Um, and so, like, that, like, it, it basically introduces a language in and of its own, um, and that really helps people connect that. I'm losing you a little bit, Aaron. You're getting robot-y. Yeah, robot Everyone to use. And, um... Like with flower and flow, there wasn't any sort of communication, like in in the game world. But uh, yeah, there there wasn't uh, any communicating in those. But there's multiplayer, physical multiplayer. But um, anyways, so it seems like the like the way of communicating in Journey really has like connected, uh, like has con- like has made people closer to video games or like closer to other people. Um, we've gotten tons of people saying about uh, like telling us about how it's made them like rethink society or something or uh like uh help them in many different ways and um like there's people saying that that like journey helped like kind of change people's like view like some some people's society a lot of people just get burnt out by um like what they see and the news and whatnot and just seeing about how um people would like basically care for someone who they know absolutely nothing about. Um, the, the only thing they know about them is that they're another person playing a PlayStation 3 somewhere else in this world. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, um, like the uh, constraint and like sort of creation of, of a new language, um, constraint, like, and yeah, the, it's, it's really made it so people can really connect with each other and, do you find that people react mm-hmm. in in more of a, a caring way and like a positive way? Because I've read something about there there had to be uh, there was a feature where you could actually physically bump the other person and they had to be removed because sometimes people were knocking each other off of bridges and stuff like that. Do you find that people respond in like a, a peaceful way? Because just the the kind of atmosphere of the game is more of a a thoughtful kind of atmosphere and more of a you know, an emotional atmosphere, and it doesn't—it doesn't seem to lend itself to the sort of you know hostility that it seems like that would kind of entail. I'm, Do you find that people were doing that, or is that just a rumor? 
Well, I can speak to that. Uh, the, eliminating collisions between two players was something that was cut long before any any public beta or anything like that. Um, but for that reason, it was even just in prototyping. It was like if you give if you give the players any tools that could be turned, you know, one player against the other, mm-hmm. uh, even if ninety nine percent of people don't do that there will inevitably be someone, even if it's like a 14-year-old kid somewhere, that wants to try that. And um, and uh, so the game, I thought, uh, you know, Genova and, and uh, you know, everybody else on the team really did an amazing job at eliminating all potential for griefing in the game. While meanwhile, all the mechanics that are in the game are designed to do the opposite. So like when the players sing to each other, they light each other up and enable the ability to sort of fly or make these huge jumps. Uh, and that's, that is basically by design appealing to your better angels. Your only, your only, like, uh, contribution to the experience is helping the other person. And if it's not that, it's just walking away from them in a very kind of neutral way. Um, and, uh, same thing with the communication, the chirps that I designed. You know, we, we really worked hard on those to make sure none of them ever had the potential to feel like grating or annoying or anything, so that even that wasn't like a trap door to just be annoying to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the game is really conscientiously designed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we cut that. Um, and uh, it's really it's really conscientiously designed to, to prevent that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think, and I think that's what people's re- revelations were, is is that Instead of someone reacting to the game and saying, well, this is stupid, why would I play this? They actually bought into and fully embraced this very, like, humanist, uh, pro kind of, uh, happiness and, and, uh, shared experience kind of mentality. Uh, cause that, cause, you know, it, it could have definitely gone the other way in theory is mm-hmm. that eliminating the ability to be sort of competitive or any of the normal sort of things we think of in games. Uh, people could have just said, I don't respond to this, and the game would have vanished and never been seen by anybody. Um, and so that was, that was what was shocking for me, is that was the big risk. That was the big experiment. What are people going to take away from it, and if at all? And they, they seem to... I do, I do think that part of the power of what uh, you guys did with the, the, the experience, the multiplayer experience, is that there's occasional sadness and negative emotions associated with the other person whether it's because they've, they've moved on or, or left the server or things like that. Those are actually powerful moments in the game. Right. So you can't say that it, it's a, every single emotion in there is positive. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I'd, I'd say that the only people I've heard, and, and this is coming from a perspective of I personally thought it was my favorite game of the past ten years, if not more, um, And uh, but the only people that I've heard that had negative experience with the game were the ones that were frustrated that their uh, partner was solving the puzzle for them or progressing right. um, when they wanted to do it themselves. Um, sure. Uh, and and uh, so in a sense, I guess that's the one sort of, the one uh, uh, spot where there's sort of indirect griefing. You can see that in a sense that people are even still frustrated by by even the most minor of, of negative interactions with people. Well, but the nice thing is, if somebody's plowing through the game, it's really easy to just let them go without you, and then you, that problem is solved. Right. Uh, I know when my wife played it, and she's not a gamer at all, so so I because she had a little bit of that, but the thing is, such a novice game, 
even a basic sort of right. rate would feel fast to her. And she did intuitively feel like I need to be keeping up with them. I actually she had this she had this uh, you know compel like she felt compelled to try to keep up. And I could say to her, don't like let them go. You know that's cool. You know like they they're they're doing it because what I've seen is a lot of players take the opposite route. If they can tell the other person is a newbie, they like become this very kind of protective bigger brother type, and they love to like. You see on forums and people in droves writing about how they felt like someone was guiding them. So the first right. thing they wanted to do when they played the game again was to go back and be that person for someone else. That was, that was me in my third picture. Like a guide for someone? Uh -huh. Yeah, I think uh -huh. it's amazing. I was that. chirping at them, showing them the locations of the, the things. Yeah, right, like the white symbols. and Yeah, exactly. To me, that, that really is... Uh, so, But to me, the poignancy is not a negative emotion of like being sad over someone going because mm -hmm. you... Be sad if you didn't, if you weren't emotionally invested. Right. That's like when I see a movie yeah. that makes me sad. That is a high praise that I could say of that yeah. film, um, which is different than like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so in that way, I, I do stand by what I said that Journey doesn't have those negative emotions in it because you wouldn't feel that if it weren't coming from a place of having achieved something positive. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a question that I ask myself a lot. Of you know what, what kind of life do you want to live? One that is, alternates between uh, feeling ten out of ten and one out of ten, or do you want to be five all the time? And uh, knowing that you can't achieve that ten out of ten without taking the ones with it. So for me, it's it's like not even a question. Like for the five existence is that is so not living. easy for a man who lives in Burbank to say. A one is being tortured by Cardassians. Tortured <laughs> <laughs> by. <laughs> I'm not sure what a 10 would be, then. <laughs> a 10 is getting Dating 7 of 9. Video games live. <laughs> that, that'll, that'll be up there. Right? There you so, go. Uh, but, you know, you have to take it, you have to take, I mean, like, you know, for example, if I didn't care, I could just sit and write anything, and, and that'd be fine. But, like, in the case of Journey, that was three years of crippling anxiety of, like, am I going to actually do this because I was I worshipped the game like I thought Genova and and Kelly and Robin and Martin and John and Nick and the whole team of that game company were making like I, I, I was feel like I was watching Immaculate Conception I felt like I was seeing I could it's one of those rare instances where when you work on something uh, I felt I could objectively uh, see its specialness from within which is usually so rare Something does really well, it's usually always a surprise because you're too close to it to have any idea how good it's going to be. Mm -hmm. and when I was watching Journey, even from day one, I thought, these guys are making something special. And so for me, it was like, holy shit, I'm going to be the guy that's like the loose part of it. I'm the weak link in this chain like because they're all clearly unified and there's me as the semi-outsider writing the music. And uh, that's sort of, I mean, it wasn't one. It wasn't like working on it was miserable. But it, it, but you know that's I do you know find that that's actually a healthy I don't I don't look down on that or I don't feel like I shouldn't have that anxiety as part of the quest mm -hmm. towards the achievement or the happiness later. There's very few moments in your life where I think you can say I worked on something that's going to have a lasting impact or a positive impact. You know that's meaningful to just you know not just me and my immediate circle. And I think when you're working on something like that, especially knowing that as you did, that's pretty. Uh, big blessing to say, you know. This yeah, is and just so we're clear, I wasn't, I don't mean the music. I, I, I remain, in a way, just as unsure of the music now as I was then, but especially then, before anyone heard it. 
Um, I really am referring to the game itself, to the work that was being done in the design and the art direction and all of, all those things. That's why it was so nerve-wracking, because I was like... Well, they combined together really well. We should back up a little bit, Aaron. Um, can you explain what the premise is of Journey? Because I'm sure there are people that are listening that have never played. So before we get too detailed in it, um, can you can you just sum up what it's about? Okay, uh, Journey is about a rock band from the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyways, so... John, tell them uh, what you think Journey's about. I, I was going to ask, um, I, isn't it a game about giant, uh, well, not giant, but a, a race of desert roosters trying to climb a mountain to get to an interstellar hen house. I, I think that's what I was getting from it. From when I played. <laughs> that's one That's one look at it. Or you could look at it as a fashion designer, like, trying desperately to become as famous as they can be, and like, reaching the, the pinnacle of their career. Henceforth. The is back in style. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, anyways, so, um, Journey is a PlayStation 3 exclusive downloadable title that's basically where um, you are this character that you just wake up. You're made out of cloth. Like uh, You wake up in this desert, and you see a mountain, and you want to go to it. That's the game. So, but um, it's, a, like, it's a multiplayer game that uh, tries to connect people on a level that like hasn't been in a video um, like there's, like there's the whole like really getting in depth, um, like knowing about like this person. You, like you can find out every single thing about a person, but this is more so about uh, like seeing like the soul of other people is like uh, what what you can say. Um, but uh, it's it's about like connecting people. Just um, um, it's about like connecting people about. Um, going on this journey together about like, uh, yeah, just like the connection. So yeah. just trying to give a connection there. So yeah. Hmm. My my own uh, my only kind of addition to that would be, which you already basically said, but but the journey is not about anything. Um, in that the takeaway from journey is not plot details or or you know sort of narrative moments uh, that may be debatable but um, but the idea is journey is not um, supposed to be telling a story in the normal like boy meets girl or something like that kind of uh, archetype journey is about creating a blank canvas on which the player can imprint whatever it is they want and and so the way different people if you ask 50 different people who've played the game what is this game about? You'll get 50 answers that are very reflective of who that person speaking is and where they are in their life at this time. And, uh, and so that's why some people play it and they say, you know, this game was, was really cool and I, it was, I was really appreciated the craft of the art direction. I thought it was beautiful and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and, I, and I, I enjoyed playing with someone else. And then you'll meet someone else who's like, like I got an email from a guy whose father had passed away recently, and he 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 basically convinced himself he was playing the game with his father, and he was able to achieve a catharsis that he had been really struggling to find in his daily life. And the game had had nothing short of a life changing effect on him. And so, to me, the the strength of the game is the malleability for people to have whatever experience they're looking for um, within our sort of narrative that we're telling them, but which, you know, is kept deliberately 
as I mean, even amongst the members of that game company, what specific things within the game mean or might imply or whatever. Everyone has their own opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's really meant to be uh, deeply subjective. Funny, funny story on story on that. That that is exactly how how I felt while I was playing the game. I was imagining myself in there and and uh, the companions as, as people in my life, and in particular. Uh, my wife during a, a, a good portion of the game, I was sort of imagining that the other player that was in there was actually my wife because they don't speak, they, you know, you don't speak English in the game. There's no chat in the game, so you really can, um, you know, if, if if Gordon Freeman is a is a is silent because it allows the player to to imagine that the player is Gordon Freeman. In, in Journey, the entire game is Gordon Freeman. Yeah. And uh, the the funny thing is at the end of the end of journey, you actually do get to see the uh, the the tags or the whatever they, the, the usernames mm -hmm. of the PSN ID of the people that you were playing with. I, on my first playthrough, I was imagining that this other person was my wife. Turns out it's two different people, and and uh, uh, their names were Frank Jr. and T. Gordo. Um, <laughs> so pretty uh, much. Yeah. <laughs> I also like to focus on people. So as much as I want to talk more about journey, I want to get to know you guys a little bit better too. And I'm going to start with you, Andy, since you're speaking already. Uh, the founder of Pocket Watch Games. I, I'm interested in uh, how you became a gamer and, and what influenced you to to pick up the first controller when you became a gamer. Controller? Controllers are for console people. Ah, this is true. I'm are a you a PC guy? Yeah, well, I was a nerdy Commodore 64 kid. Um, oh. Uh, I'm, I'm probably a little bit older than I look. Um, uh, 34. Um, and uh, I, I made my first game when I was 7 on that Commodore 64. Um, really? For uh, when I was, huh? uh, I remember when I was, you know, four or five playing Frogger on it, um, and uh, and then got really into. I my my whole family's kind of has always been kind of into games, and I used to sit and play the Ultimate games with my dad. I, I actually was the the cartographer. I'd sit there with the graph paper and oh and, okay while my dad controlled. And then I got old enough to to be the guy actually controlling it and. You know, played through all the, the Sierra games when I was a kid, and, and uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I actually never owned a a console until the first Xbox when I was actually working on a game for it. Um, uh, so no Nintendo, never owned a Nintendo, okay. none of those things. Um, so yeah, I I, I uh, um, worked on a game called Whacked um, in 2000 2001. It was actually the first online console game, the first Xbox Live game on the original Xbox. And so I, I, uh, very proud of the fact that I actually wrote the the uh, the online matchmaking for that, as well as the the artificial intelligence. But but I get to to say that I wrote the first online console code ever. Um, oh, nice. Um, and how did you end up meeting Austin? Through that game company, I was looking for a musician for Monaco. Um, Monaco started; it, it won the 2010 IGF. That's now two and a half years old. Counting uh, on you. <laughs> um, uh, since then, Minecraft and Fez have both won uh, the grand prize and and both been released. Um, uh, Monaco will be coming soon. Um, at any rate, um, uh, that original IGF version of the game was actually only. 15 weeks of work by just me, um, and the music in it, I was using, um, rag, like I was using ragtime piano, just, just attribution-only stuff I found off the internet, right. um, but it was all ragtime piano, silent movie score style stuff, um, so I was looking for uh, a, a musician that could basically take that and run as far as they possibly could with it. 
um, and Austin is is a is a freaking genius. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm 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 I reside in San Diego. Austin's up here in L.A., and I'm actually spending the day up here. We're kind of that he's he's got the we we've finished up the first pass of the, the the whole game score, and I'm up here today, and we're we're sort of going through our our first big revision list. Um, for the game, for, for the full score. But yeah, zeroing in on the more nitty gritty things, right. and, and yeah. you know, there are no like blank spots anymore. Great, um, exactly. It's all, all the slots are full. Yeah. Nice. I understand you just finished writing the main story, so congratulations. That must be a nice accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, it's something that I struggled with for a long time, uh, whether it was writer's block or, or, or what. Um, uh, and finally, I, I think it's probably because my from a scheduling perspective and from a sort of dependency perspective, um, my back sort of got to be against the wall in terms of, okay, I need to get this damn story done now. But I'd done so many revisions and done so much research on various different heists and, and characters that actually have existed in Monaco or the history of Monaco and all of this, and, and uh, I, I really just have a pretty deep knowledge of, of uh, heist movies and all of this stuff. Um, that I sat down and wrote the thing from beginning to end in a day, and still need some editing, but... Um, uh, but it all just like, you know, it's it's like I was, I've been constipated with this story for about <laughs> came out more, at once. Um, so that's a that's a pretty darn good feeling. Writers x lax. Writers x. Yeah, nice. it's like this thing has to come out now or I'm in trouble. All right, Aaron, I'm gonna move to you because you've been quiet here. Um, I want to know how did you end up working for that game company? Tell me that story. Before he tells it, I'm going to tell you this is like my favorite story ever. Okay. So I I grew up in Minnesota uh, in a town of like uh, less than 3,000 people. Um, and uh, basically, in high school, I found out about that game company became like their uh, like first fan and like their biggest fan. And I just basically harassed them for like uh, three and a half or yeah, four and a half years and then uh, I got, I, I was working at Office Max, and then I quit my job. And then, like, a, a couple of days later, I get an email from the former president, Kelly Santiago, and she just asked me if I wanted a job. So I'm like, sweet. So I've just been, like, running the uh, Facebook and Twitter since then. But it's it's just been, like, a complete and utter change, because there's, there's not, like, an industry at all in, um, like, like, where I'm from, I like I live in a city of like a couple hundred thousand people, and um, the closest like big city is the Twin Cities, and um, down there there's pretty much no video game thing going on. There's some stuff, but not really. Mm-hmm. So it's uh but yeah, so it's just like amazing going from like just being a, a little kid on the internet to a bigger kid like at a video game studio. Because from, that... from our perspective, we were, uh, like, I remember when Flow came out, that was 2007, um, and there was always this, uh, there was always this, like, everything that was ever posted on the website, you could, or, like, every blog entry, every forum thread, um, there was always a minimum of one comment, which was Amish Gromish being like, hey, that's awesome! Uh, <laughs> huge amount of love coming from this one person and he, he was like the first real fan where anything that was posted he would comment and maybe other people would or maybe it would be just that one but it was always 
it was it was it was just always there. So he he knew you know any article that would get published, he would he would he would read it. And it was like the guy, it was like the perfect person to to come be involved as the community person to to wrangle all the the data, especially as the uh, game the as that game company as they grew in sort of public uh, knowledge as the you know their perception in terms of, from the public and that sort of thing. Um, I just thought it was so cool because he was like 16 or whatever. I mean, uh, and uh, and Perfect now fanboy like, dream. like it's all grown up. And he's actually, like a really integral part of of what they're doing. I think it's so. It's just so cool. It's like it's like a 21st century uh, story uh, of of you know, Cinderella so, story. <laughs> but mm. so removed, uh, and yet, and but yet, just through through passion alone. Um, Became part of the, the the fabric, you know. I just to me that's that's just so awesome. I saw that you made a few levels for Little Big Planet on One Up, Aaron. Did you? Um, you have credit on Journey. Did you end up doing any development for that, or how did you? How did that come about? Well, with Little Big Planet, it was just one level that I did, and uh, I, I like I hate to say this, like I I absolutely love those games, the Little Big Planet games, but I've only gotten around to making that one level. And then I have said since 2007, that, or uh, two, yeah, 2008, that I'm going to update that that game company level, and I haven't yet. Um, uh. But I have so many games, too many games. I, I need to stop buying video games, but well, not as many as I have, anyways. But yeah, so um, I, I didn't do anything on like Journey. I, I did help Austin a little bit with uh, hewing, like the audio. Um, and that, that was just really awesome to at least like be able to contribute like something to the game. If, uh, like, uh, at least with that, like typing in a computer and, uh, talking to Austin a little bit about like what would sound better. But he, he was really just like in the moment. And here I, I like knew nothing about like queuing or anything like that. And he's just like throwing everything out there. And, um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, I, I didn't do any work on Journey other than, like, helping Austin out or doing a little bit of, uh, uh, like, in, internal, like, uh, game testing, sort of, uh, what is that called? Um, beta? Are you beta testing? Uh, oh, what was that called? Um, Q&A testing? No, um, why, why can't I think of it? It's just, uh, focus testing, that's it, yeah, okay. a little bit of focus testing. Um, but yeah, like, I also was in Minnesota for, like, the most, the, the the vast majority of time that I have worked for that game company, um, so I haven't been like here to like be able to do things. But um, okay. yeah, so like I I know nothing about like video game development. I have thought about it, um, but yeah, so like just basically just like uh, I'm I'm a business guy, so yeah, so like uh, like just okay. PR stuff mainly and everything. So yeah, mm. I have to ask if you're a fan of the Avengers. Because yeah. <laughs> you keep talking about Shabu Shabu. What is this good? Tell me about this. Oh, oh, oh. Is this um, a Tony Stark reference? Because I'm a fan. Uh, I actually, um, I it's kind of interesting you saw that, but <laughs> like uh, in Minnesota, um, the only like food that like a uh, uh, Japanese food is basically like the where they cook it in, in front of you, like the whole thing. Where that's only used in like a very small part of Japan, 
And then, and then there's sushi. And where I'm from, it's really bad sushi. It's because they have to like bring it over like 1500 miles at like at minimum. Um, anyway, so I've just been like eating all sorts of like weird, like uh, Asian food around here that is either better here or, uh, like, uh, fast food. Well, basically fast food sushi like here is better than the like creme de la creme in Minnesota. But anyways, I've, I never have really watched like the Avengers. I'm not really into like comic book stuff. Um, I do enjoy the, the movies. Um, don't enjoy the video games, but I, um, but yeah, so with Shabu Shabu, that was the first time that I, that I ate it and it was like really interesting. So, nice. uh, yeah, so I'm just glad that like the person sitting next to me could explain what to do. So. But apparently Tony Stark likes uh, Shabu Shabu. Yes, yes, that's the that's... movie at the end. Yeah, oh, if, he, if they all survive, he'll get to have some. That's his, like, goal. Okay. <laughs> I hope it was worth it. Was that the first or the second one? Or, or, or you mean that was in the Avengers movie? Yeah. Oh, okay. I know. I, I'm interested, but I'm ridiculously busy. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Austin... Winner of Best Composer in 2009, moved to you. Uh, I thought the music was incredible for this, and I understand Flow was your first experience working with that game company. How did how did that work for you? How did you get involved with them? Uh, well, I was a student at USC at the same time that Genova and Kelly were. Uh, oh, really? And, uh, so we met, and I, Flow started as Genova's master's thesis, and and got picked up for full scale. You know, production by Sony for a PS3. Uh, PS3 hadn't even come out yet at the time. They were looking for launch titles to try to help brand the PS3, um, and to you know. And I think they were specifically. I, I might be putting words in their mouth a little bit, but it seemed to me that they were looking for ways to kind of artistically separate themselves from Xbox and have, you know, use the PSN for example to be able to include more kind of. Um, smaller scale, more artfully minded games, uh, less overtly commercial games. Um, uh, although they certainly work hard, like in using Uncharted as an example, to try to bring as much artistry as they can, even to a huge budget game, um, which I think is awesome. Uh, but so in any case, I I, I went, and it's funny because I basically went to USC for that reason. I, I was there to study music, but I was there specifically at USC to meet. People like Genova. I uh, was looking for where are people going to be uh, in the you know the next department over studying game development or filmmaking, who are going to eventually kind of grow up to be um, you know Im important people in the industry. I just knew that that school in particular had a magnetic effect, um, and and that was the the, the like naive childhood dream: uh, go to USC. To, to meet to meet that person, you know, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's uh, it's like insane to me that that's sort of what happened uh, uh, because that was that was so unambiguously my goal. Um, but the way it happened was, you know, I just I went to a concert and I started talking to the guy next to me because uh, I just enjoy striking up conversations with random strangers, and uh, and um, the guy next to me was in the was in the game department. And he was making a game, and I gave him my card. And, you know, I gave out my cards to people like 50,000 times a week back then. And, uh, you know, 99% you never hear from again. And this guy actually called and was like, hey, I'm doing a game. You know, let's do it. So I did his 
his little game, and he was his classmate of Genova's. And then one day, like a, two weeks later, I just get an email from Genova out of the blue. I had never heard of him before, didn't, hadn't met him. And he was like, I'm doing my master's thesis. It's called Flow. Are you interested in checking it out? And I remember thinking, like, oh, sweet, you know, big sweeping orchestral music. This is going to be really cool. And then he showed me the game, and I was like, this is not at all. I don't even know what this is. Uh, and it was just he and Nick Clark, you know, who are, Nick is still uh, a core member of that game company to this day, and, and, and uh, Nick was an undergrad, and Genova was, if I remember correctly, if I'm, if I'm wrong, Nick, I apologize. I'm pretty sure that was the case, though. Um, and, um, and uh, yeah, so we, we did his master's thesis, and we put it online uh, with no, this was in 2006, we put it online with no advertising or anything, just on his website, which was like, you know, usc.edu slash Genova, like it wasn't even genova10.com, it was like some site within USC, and there were like half a million players within a few days, I mean, wow, and, um, and this was, he was in the first class, this was the first ever year of the interactive media department at USC, um, and, um, certainly kick that program off with now 15 million people of you per year apply, I'm sure, uh, more than then, because everybody wants, you know, because, I mean, Sony signed into a three-game deal by the time he graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so anyway, we met through just, just freak luck, you know, I feel really, really, really grateful uh, that it just worked out this way, that, you know, that was my goal, but I also knew you don't, you can't... That's not a goal you can achieve. It's a it's a goal that you hope for, um, mm-hmm. and 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 I just somehow got quite miraculously lucky. And and meeting Andy was no different, frankly, because uh, Kelly he actually emailed some like message board or something because Kelly forwarded me an email. It's like, hey, this guy's a friend of mine, talented game designer. Is this you know what is this something like? I'm just gonna forward you his email and you do whatever you want. Is that how she described me? <laughs> well, she. She was like, I'm deeply attracted to this man, and and uh, you know, I was, I was. Problem is, I really like her husband, and so I felt some. No, no, I, I don't. I don't really, I don't remember what her email said. It was something uh, like, this is something you might be interested in. And then as soon as I saw Ragtime Piano, I was like, yes, sir. Uh, and uh, so you know, again, pure luck, though. I mean, it's just pure, it's just pure luck, uh, which is to me, uh, you know. I'm definitely gonna get run over by a truck or something at some point because I've been lucky. Wait, gonna get tortured by tortured by a Kardashian. Yeah. (laughs) Did you say Kardashian or Kardashian? Because that's very different. Yeah, (laughs) not so much. Uh, But yeah, anyway, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but that's that's how I. What about gaming for you? I understand the music aspect, but other than King's Quest Three, what games did you play as a child, and what attracted you to gaming? Twitter. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big gamer. I mean, I've, I've, I've played games pretty intensively my whole life. I mean, games and film were my passions before music. Uh, I discovered music at age ten, and by that point, I was already, you know, seven years or whatever into my gaming consumption. Uh, and uh, you know, unlike, unlike uh, Andy, I, you know, definitely was like Nintendo. To, to Super Nintendo, to Genesis, and I was one of those few guys that had a Sega CD, uh, and, uh, you know, and I never bought Dreamcast, but eventually I actually did swing around to, I'm much more of a PC gamer now, uh, yeah. I, I, I have a Wii and a PS3, I don't even own an Xbox, uh, 
and uh, but I do like 99% of my gaming on PC, uh, and um, and uh, for, actually for the same reason, I bought a PS3 because Flow was coming out, and uh, and that was the one reason why I, I bought one, and I actually use it as a Blu-ray player far more than I use it as a as a, a gaming <laughs> console because I just use, I just game on PC, but uh, but yeah, definitely to me, and being a composer completely colors. Uh, my approach to writing game scores, um, and for me, that's one of those. A lot of my colleagues who score games are not necessarily gamers themselves, and I, I find that that can be uh, a, an impasse or make it more difficult because you're writing the music in a vacuum without without thought towards its implementation, which to me seems like that's the equivalent of scoring a film based on the script. Uh, and not actually seeing the footage, and things oh, like okay. how the camera, how the camera moves, how the actors deliver their performance, how the scene is lit, how it's edited. Those are the things that dramatically impact the way in which you'll approach the music. And anyone who's ever scored a film would agree with that. Um, and yet, games tend to be scored just as if you're scoring a script. Um, even brilliant game scores that I love are are not necessarily written in a way that... And I'm not trying to say it's wrong. I'm just saying that, for me, being a gamer is a really, really valuable and essential part of how I think of scoring games. Um, okay. And uh, Do you think it's a time crunch? you think that's why it's done that done poorly? Well, and I'm not trying to. I, I don't. I don't think it's done poorly. I just think that I, for myself, can't imagine scoring games if I weren't a gamer. I don't think it's done poorly. I just do it better. No, not at all. <laughs> Someone else could have done it wrong. Uh, it's it's no. I mean, I'm I'm definitely like. There's a lot of talented composers like you know Gary Scheiman, Jason Graves, Gerard Marino, uh, Chris Tilton, Chris Leonard's. Any of those guys would have done a great job with Journey. They would have written a different score than I wrote, but that doesn't necessarily mean they would have written something uh, better or worse. Uh, it would have just been more a reflection of who they are. Um, and um, uh, but you know some of those like you know I know Gerard. Gerard's a good friend of mine. He you know he he actually plays games. He is a gamer, and I think that 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 positively contributes to his his writing. I don't think not being a gamer negatively contributes, but for me, I just don't know that I'm. Creative enough. I don't know that I have. I'm like I'm not smart enough to score games if I didn't understand how they worked from a gamer's perspective. Is my is the only uh, point that I'm making. Okay. Uh, I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think that they're done poorly. I just think that um, there's maybe untapped potential or something like that. I I, I think that in, at least in working with you, what's really nice is that uh, is that there's a there's an understanding or that that. That you understand the language of games, you understand the way that that, that music works in games, and the, and the way that the games interact with the music. And when you're working with a composer that doesn't understand those things, um, uh, it's um, it's basically you're having to sort of translate things into their language or explain that things that that sort of thing to them. There's a there's a barrier to entry for those for mm. that doesn't that doesn't have a, a deep intuitive understanding of games and. Uh, you so you know you've just been able to dive right in and dive right into it, and, and I think that often also I've I've found that if you work with an artist or a composer that doesn't hasn't worked with games before, or hasn't played a lot of games, um, you tend to get a lot of resistance because they they tend to 
to try and work in very traditional ways and, and resist working in within the limitations of the medium. Um, and uh, and right. in working with you, there's there's no resistance to the medium. You 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 work within the limitations, and, and limitations can inspire creativity. Um, well, the funny thing, the, the funny thing for me is I think of it the opposite way. I think of games as having less limitation because um, music is what separates music from every single other art form is the fact that it exists over linear time. You know, if you want to go see Picasso's Guernica. Uh, you can look at it for five seconds, you can look at it for three hours, your experience will be a function of how much time you're investing in it. But if you want to go hear a Beethoven symphony, that first movement is ten minutes long, whether you want to in, in, like absorb yourself in it for longer or shorter or whatever. And um, so it's uh, music is, is somewhat handcuffed, except that obviously the existence over linear time is the fundamental art of writing music and, and, and so I don't it's, I don't actually think of it as handcuffed but the point being that in an interactive media you have a tool that was unavailable to all musicians and composers for all of mankind's history until the recent past until the last 15 ish years um, and and it's like being in the Wild West where where we're able to be reckless and we're able to experiment really freely. I mean, to me, being a composer in games, I can't imagine a better time to be alive in the history of music than in 2012 because how often, I mean, the only thing remotely analogous to the impact that interactivity can bring to music in terms of the entire history of music, I think, is when recordings came into existence. So a little over a century ago was the last time anything of nearly this scale of implications happened. Um, but even that was an extension of the of music uh, in, in a preservation of it, and you know that of course introduced production and let you do things that you couldn't do in a live acoustic setting, and that opened up doors to creating different kinds of music, but still linear music. So even that was. Uh, basically like version 2.0, whereas this is like a whole other concept. Um, and uh, I feel like we're really at the starting gate of it. I mean, I really feel like we are at the infancy of what this could potentially be. It's similar to a thought I've been I've had recently, which is that, that games actually have a lot more in common with books than they do with movies. That books, the, totally the act agree. of reading a book is not temporarily locked. Whereas when you watch a movie, it is a temporarily locked experience. And in fact, the only interactivity tends to happen after you watch the movie, and you go back and you remember bits and pieces and you analyze afterwards. Whereas when you're actually reading the book, the, the pace is set by yourself, you can reread a, po a portion. Um, if you're reading a poem, you can appreciate every little piece of that poem um, without being dragged forward by time. Um, and, uh, totally agree. And I guess it's the, the same sort of thing that would, would be needed as well. Yeah. Interesting idea. Okay, I'd like to move back to Journey a little bit and give Aaron a chance to uh, talk about something that I found kind of uh, touching for me. One of my main characters that I love in another video game called uh, Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess is Midna. And for some reason, uh, maybe it's the artistic style of the character or just because she doesn't speak any known language and is kind of exotic looking, there's sort of a parallel between for me, Midna, and some of the characters that are created in Journey when you first begin. Uh, can you tell us how this kind of look came about, uh, Aaron, and how, how the concept for the character was created? 
Um, you mean like the? Do uh, you mean like the main character, like yes. the journeyer, or? Yes. Okay. Which I um, call a girl, and I'm sure other people call a guy, but for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Purpose, by the way. What's that? But, uh, That's on purpose. You should be able to see it as whatever you want. You know, Robin always always referred to uh, <laughs> her as she, uh, the journeyer. Anyway, just just validating your your takeaway. Yeah. Go ahead. It's not a chicken. Stop. <laughs> it can't be a chicken. <laughs> chickens are awesome. <laughs> so, anyways, um, but like if if you look at if you look at yourself as a chicken stuck in like a human's body, then you will probably really associate yourself with this character if you think the character is a chicken. Anyways, so. Um, one thing you can do is like go on, uh, like go on Genova Chen's Flickr page and look at, uh, like back in 2005, he actually has some, like I think it was like 2005 or 2006, he has some pictures that just show a bunch of people like walking somewhere, um, that they're all like in robes, but they're very like distinctly like humans. Um, like the, that's kind of like where the, idea for like people journeying somewhere came from other than like, like he also uh like it's also kind of like based on a journey is kind of based on a book also but uh for like the character design um it's just kind of like been this sort of robed figure um but uh like it's kind of changed like a lot of things have changed about the character and um you can also see like uh, the, there was a journey prototype that was kind of like a big, like manly sort of guy. If you, uh, see any, if you see any fan art where there's like this, uh, like bigger guy that is like, um, more of like his clothes are black. Um, maybe, he's, and he's like very, uh, muscly. Uh, this guy was like the journey or prototype, but what we found was that it would kind of make people kind of mis- be more like violent towards each other while playing the game. Um, so like they really went, uh, we really tried to find like a, a good middle ground where, um, like the character didn't have, like wasn't specifically like a specific gender, wasn't like a certain like type of creature, um, and, uh, uh, like wasn't like really violent or anything. Um, so it, it took a lot of like, uh, like iteration and whatnot to, like really find the shape that we wanted, but it uh, took a lot of influence from uh, very like various places around the world uh, from for like sort of pattern designs and yeah, clothing designs and whatnot. Yeah, like Asian Moroccan sort of mm-hmm. other stuff kind of thrown in. Yeah, there, there's also a bunch of uh, Native American and style uh, inspired okay. style on the game too. So, um, but uh, yeah, so. Um, just kind of like took an amalgamation of things and just kept trying and trying and finally got something that like pretty much everyone agreed on. And yeah, so that that's the journey. <laughs> I think it's interesting how the other, the other party member that you run into along the way, I could definitely tell that at times it was a different person and not the same character that stayed with me throughout just by the behavior of the other character. Like some people were, 
more, um, you know, stick to your side and kind of, you know, do it together and other people were just going off on their own. And, and I think you could tell the personality of the person just by some of their actions, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, you certainly can do that, but like we've gotten, or, uh, for as many people that do say that they could tell they played with different people, um, we got like many more, uh, like people telling us that they thought they played with one person, but actually they played like four or five, six or even eight different people through the entire playthrough of the game. Um, so it's, uh, like it's just, like one thing about that too is that some people don't, like they see the same look, looking creature. And um, sometimes the only way they can tell it's a different person is by telling the length of their scarf. Like if it's shortened or if it got like really long, then they can tell. Um, Are but the cheap it, symbols different too? Like I was noticing mine was different than the person next to me. Yeah, that too. Yeah. But like it's it's kind of surprising. Like one thing that I think is kind of surprising is that that's one thing people don't point out that often when saying that like they knew they were playing with someone else. It was always like the scarf. How... Um, like even though like the symbols, uh, from like from what I've seen, like the symbols are like um, uh, like it's kind of like, uh, what is it? Yeah, it? yeah, like it shows like different people, but um, like for some reason people aren't really uh, noticing that as well. Um, like but they do, like people do like more so notice like which one they have. So like they're focusing on that, but with the other character, it seems like they're focusing more on. Um, uh, like more on like how the character moves or like their scarf and whatnot, and not so much on their glyph. They just see like they hear the noise, the the chirping noise, and then they just see like the the like the things light up, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this is so awesome." Um, so it uh, I'm not exactly sure like what's going on there, but it just seems like um, I think people are focusing much more on the character, but. Um, I think it's amazing to see how scarves can represent so many things in this, like underwater plants or air moving pennants and bridges, and then even frozen waterfalls. It was kind of, it was kind of neat to see the multiple ways the scarves were getting used. I'm going to ask you all what your favorite part was about the game, and then I'm going to let John take some questions from the chat room. So let's go with you first, since you were speaking, Aaron. What's your favorite part of Journey? Um, I my. <laughs> He's laughing. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a really that's a really mean question. Um, I think the, uh, the the biggest like surprise. I'll just give like the biggest surprise and then my favorite part because I just have to say this. The biggest surprise was um, like uh, last summer when I was playing the like when I played the game uh, like all the way through like a broken version of the game. And I came across the, there's spoilers here, so people might want to pause this, but I came across the uh, Guardians, or... Spoilers are evil. What? I said spoilers are evil. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, is uh, scam. Mm. But, Those are the guys with the eyes? Is that what you call the Guardians? Like the, the snakes with yeah, the eyes? They, they, okay. like, they have different names, like the name, they have a couple different names for, throughout development of Journey, but... Um, yeah, so, like, I, I first came across them, and then I was like, holy crap, I know these people. <laughs> I'm like, this, that just, like, hit me so hard. It's just, like, a complete, like, utter shock. Um, but anyways, then I think my absolute favorite part has to be, like, right before, um, right before, like, the very last level of the game. 
Um, I'm, I'm not going to say... The snow. Uh, the snow up the hill. Um, uh, well, okay, yeah, so basically, yeah, like, the, the very end of that, like, the last, the last okay. part. And, um, kind of like walking with one other person, um, trying to get somewhere, and uh, then, like, you're just slowing down and everything, and, um, and then you, like, get, get help out and whatnot, and that, that was just, like, that was probably, like, the most amazing experience I've ever had playing a video game. And before then, it was Heavy Rain, and that game was just, like, amazing also. I love that game, too, but <laughs> Journey beat it out. So. All right, Austin, your favorite part? You know, it's so hard to, it's really hard to answer that because for every moment in the game, I immediately remember the 4,000 iterations of it leading up to that final version. Um, I can tell you my my favorite, I mean, I really enjoyed every single day. Like I said before, I, I felt so in awe of the thing from, from day one that I, I can't even zero in on, on a favorite part uh, compositionally as far as like working with a certain moment of the game but I will say for whatever reason that I don't really have any intellectualized kind of explanation for um, the moment in the game a little over halfway through where you're kind of ascending in a very vertical area through, through a kind of temple uh, or, or sort of spiritual space um, you know, it, it, that's how it always felt to me. It felt it felt like a kind of like a holy place. Um, it, it, again, you know, the big emphasis is is it is whatever you want it to be. Uh, so these these are in no way like definitive insider you know opinions of it is that thing. Um, uh, for me, it felt like a very kind of spiritual place, and and I really, especially as the art direction, you know, Matt Neva is the artist. Uh, who, who was kind of the spearhead of all those kind of art direction choices. And um, he and I um, uh, just get along great, really resonated in every every aspect. Every time he would update a new look to that area, it just, for me, it, it always felt very special. And I loved, I loved working on the music for that, for that area of the game because it, I felt like I was able to really... Um, Give give my performers something to to really sink into, and and the way that I was able to kind of create duets that were you know interactive to the way the player was proceeding, uh, where you know the string orchestra from Macedonia would suddenly be accompanying Tina Guo, the cello soloist. Uh, you know, for me, the joy of composing is in hearing the musicians. It's not. There's like there's absolutely zero self-aggrandizement uh, when it comes to composing. I never like when like before at the beginning when you asked me what's your favorite piece of music that you wrote for Journey. I have no answer for that because I I don't I I don't say like I I love this piece of music that I wrote because the moment I finish it there's four thousand things that I think I could have done differently. Um, whether they be better or worse, there's just like to me it's just this living thing. That it's hard to, to, um, to you know. And it's just not to say I, I won't be proud of certain things or or, or whatnot. But but um, at the end of the day, the real joy uh, is when I write a piece of music and then I hand it over to the musician and then I hear what they do with it. And they, you know, I'll, I'll write like the you know there's a there's a moment 
where one of the big kind of cloth creatures comes swimming out of the wall and it's like a big you know to me it always seems like a whale uh, and uh, there's a there's a big prominent cello solo there and I love that moment not because I love what I wrote but because I love hearing Tina play and uh, and she uh, brings so much artistry to it and so in that sense I don't really have a, a, a particular favorite moment in the whole game at all because uh, I was very fortunate to work with some truly exceptionally talented musicians where every time they are playing, which is from the moment the game starts until the moment it's over, uh, I just get to sort of sit back in awe of their brilliance. And, and you know, it's, uh, to me it's not, it's not music until they, until they play it. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, anyway. Uh, but that, that one moment I do, I do feel like I got some really special performances there uh, from everyone. And uh, so it's, it's, it's really, I uh, like it. Andy, how about you? Uh, you're going to ask me? I didn't even work on the game. You, you played it. You must have a favorite moment. I have a favorite moment. I didn't contribute anything to the game other than my whatever, four ninety nine. <laughs> Um It's really three different things. It's either the, the, the tutorial, the cover system, or the shotguns. <laughs> <laughs> Always a safe bet. <laughs> the cover system, especially. <laughs> no, uh, um, we. Well, never mind. Like I said, I I, I have um, I I really really love Journey, and and I always whenever I talk about Journey to friends um, uh, that haven't played it, I I give them the caveat that for me, and I think for the people that that really deeply love the game, um, it becomes a very personal experience. And if you look at the reviews. Um, uh, on like a, you know, go on a Metacritic and look at the reviews, and what you'll find is that um, there's a whole bunch of like nines and tens, and then um, anyone who didn't, anyone who did give it a nine or a ten, usually prefaces their review with, well, it's hard for me to review this as some sort of like independent journalist and give you an idea of the value of the game or anything, right. because I had a very uh, personal experience that for me was was unique, and I don't expect other people to share that. But here's what my experience was, mm -hmm. um, and then um, yeah, the, and re the reviews don't sit there and say you know the physics simulation was great, and they don't sit right. there and break it apart using its features right. the way they would do 99% of game reviews. Right, the scarf animation was just excellent. Well, for me, my favorite moments were things that interacted very specifically with with uh, with my life and my memories. Um, uh, I, I'm not personally a religious guy, um, but I will say that, that, that for me, my most um, uh, truly awe-inspiring moment, um, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm, a, I'm an outdoorsman, I spend a lot of time in the outdoors, and, and, and uh, I used to make you know, games about ecosystems, and, and I, I love animals, I spent a lot of time in the water growing up, and, and uh, um, I, I went to the Galapagos, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago or something like that, and, and uh, went snorkeling in deep water with with hammerheads all around. Um, and uh, there was a, we had a guide there uh, who was a shark expert, and uh, the you know I hear him I hear I hear him yell from a, a distance away, and and uh, I look down and there's a, a manta ray with a about uh, what well, he. The, the guide who, who knew what he was talking about, my memory, of course, is colored, but, but the guide said it was a 22-foot wingspan um, manta ray, glided about 10 feet down just underneath me. Um, 
and uh, it, these these giant manta rays have have such sort of a, a peaceful existence. Seeing it just down out of reach because you can go and actually grab onto the manta ray and sort of take it for a ride. I mean, this sort of, this thing just sort of existed independently of the universe, um, just sort of you know flying by it. It flapped like they're they're flying in the sky in slow motion. Um, and seeing that sort of go underneath me just out of reach and then disappear into the darkness of the ocean was for me maybe my most powerful moment, um, uh, sort of spiritual moment um, that I've ever had uh, in, in nature, maybe in my life. Um, and, and there's a specific moment. For you, it was a whale. For me, it was a manta ray. Um, that, that same specific moment was... Um, uh, it, there's a lot of sort of aquatic imagery in the game. So that's one of the reasons so well. Um, but that that moment that that this giant manta ray-ish creature appeared out of the blue and and it was just out of reach, but then I could actually reach it and I could actually ride on it. For me, was was uh, sort of the, the first moment of the game where that just gave me gave me chills and brought me back to that that moment um, in, in my life uh, and and. Again, it felt spiritual to me, and I never had that kind of experience with a video game before. Um, so that that was definitely my favorite. Well, no, that was my first favorite moment, I would say, of the game. I had seven. Nice, nice. I think mine was there's there's a point where you kind of ride up a giant sunbeam and get to the top of this really tall like architectural piece. And the partner that I was with had gone AFK and just was frustrated and didn't want to continue on. So I kind of went to the top by myself and then continued on from there. And it was just so beautiful surfing down the, the sand at sunset when all the glints are on the sand and you can go through the arches and just go like that. It was just amazing until you got to the bottom and you could watch the sunset as you were seeing it reflect off the sand. It was really cool. John, I'm going to turn this over to you, and I'd like to hear your favorite moment, and then um, if you could ask the chat room questions, since you haven't really said a whole lot. Yeah, well, we, we did get a lot of good questions, but I definitely wanted to say what my my favorite moment was in the game. There was, there was a moment where we were climbing a very cold place, I guess, for like, spoiler alert. Um, we were climbing, I was climbing the mountain, and I was playing this part completely by myself, and the character, um, my journeyer just would get slower and slower and, and the wind was blowing and I, I actually felt alone in the game. And suddenly I, I saw someone, I saw some chirping around the, like the corner in the canyon. And then I was so relieved to see someone, to see something moving in a multiplayer game. And that's, that's when they had me. That's when I knew that this game was, something special because um like a lot of us in like on the podcast and a lot of gamers that i know who play multiplayer games like those games are about me and myself and like your personal expression or how you customize your character they're all about i and like finding your own identity and this game made me feel like what it is to be part of a community and i ne i I can't imagine. I can't remember the last time I was playing a game, and I was happy, so happy to see a stranger that I never met before in my entire life. And that moment when I saw like that chirp off in the distance, uh, um, I knew it. I, it made me 
think and feel something I never felt. I never thought I'd feel in a video game. Um, be happy to play games with other people that I've never met before. But that's why that game will always be special to me. Um, so in the chat room, there's been a lot of great, a lot of great questions. I really like this one. Uh, Beloved Clowny asks a lot of spec speculation on the forum is about the past history as hinted at in the glyphs and the history lessons. Does that game company have an official story or history explaining the events of Journey? I'm sure everyone has their theories. Um, so I guess Aaron might want to um, give a, a short little um, hint of why, what he thinks that, that world was like, the, the world is that became Journey. Things happened. That's the official uh, story from that game company. Things happened. That's the the easy answer. <laughs> so, well, I mean, like, we're uh, the story is left out. Well, the story is uh, there's not like an official story. Um, it's kind of like it's what you make of it. It's what you see. How you how you connect the uh, like the uh, paintings and whatnot that you see everywhere. And how you connect that with all, all the architecture and whatnot into your own sort of thoughts on things, on what you thought it was. Um, but, uh, yeah, so just like the whole spirituality thing where there's people who look at the game and say, like, oh, it's very, like, it's an allegory to, like, Christianity or, like, Buddhism, or they'll say, like, this really helped, like, me as a Christian. Um, there's, uh, like the same sort of stuff is with the stories that um, you can take out of it what you want. Um, you can, like, like, yeah, there's no like set in stone sort of thing. Um, if we would like say, uh, like, uh, well, uh, yeah, if we would say like what some of the people at TGC thought that the story was, like, there'd probably other people. Uh, there would be other people at TGC would be saying like, no, I. I thought it was this, like, why did you say that publicly or anything? And, um, but yes, yeah, so, like, we, we just want the fans to just make the game their own. I mean, like, we, we put it out there. It's for the fans to experience now. So there's no, like, official sort of story. There's no secret canon that will show up in, like, an art book somewhere. <laughs> no, no, no. That's what all yeah, this stuff it, is. It, it, <laughs> to Aaron's point, um, not only is there no official, um, explanation of, the backstory or the symbols or anything like that, that wasn't even like a company meeting where everybody said, okay, we're all going to have no official thing. It would be literally just organically, like for example, I, I worked a lot with Genova on the game and I also worked a lot with Robin as sort of my two main point people that I was, that I was uh, and, and Kelly as well, uh, but on, a, on your average daily basis, I, I talked to one of the two of them. Um, and, and I remember there would be moments where Robin would talk to me about a certain area of the game and she would just describe it in her terms since there isn't like chapter one, section seven, like some objective way to identify it. She would just talk about, she would describe it as she perceived it. And then I'd have a conversation with Genova about a, mo a, a, a different moment in the game and only later realized they were talking about the same moment because they have such subjective ideas of what they think that, that thing is. That, you know, because we don't have some way of saying, like, chapter sticks. Um, uh, you know, I mean, we, the game is segmented into different areas in terms of just, like, reading the game. But, but past that, um, uh, it, was, it really is just this philosophy that kind of organically developed, where, you know, Robin had her take, 
and Kelly had her take, and Genova had his, and Martin had his, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I had mine, and nobody was ever going to say, well, actually, you know, that's, that's really cool. I mean, it's not, that's not really what I was going for. But it was like never. It would be like, oh, wow, yeah, no, interesting. You know, like, um, but in, in, in a way, no different from the from the band. So, yeah, there were... <laughs> I would be interested to hear what people's... I mean, I've seen sort of less committed versions of people speculating like on forums that are on interpretation but not true fan fiction. Uh, and to me, it's all wonderful. I mean, it's all very sort of stimulating and interesting. And, and uh, But yeah, Aaron nailed it. I mean, there really is uh, no... There is no answer to that, and that's that. That's why. That's like the, that's the goal. Yeah. One thing on that too is that, like, all these people have been posting all sorts of, uh, like, their own ideas of like what happened, and it would be kind of like crass of the company to go out there and just say like, "Oh no, you're completely wrong. That is not what that meant at all." Just like think how angry that would make people. They're like pouring their lives into. Like this video game, and then like the, the people go out and just say like, no, no, you're you're just wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's not the, that wasn't the point of the game to begin with. So you know what? That, that would be the rock star thing to do. <laughs> there is no indoctrination <laughs> theory. Carry on. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to ask uh, another question, or is yeah? Do we have on? time for another one? I um. The social experiment asks, how do you play test such an emotionally driven experience? I imagine you would need a huge number of testers coming into the game for the first time. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I sat in on a lot of those. That game company is a big believer in, in play tests uh, and having people, because the thing is, a lot of games, this is a weakness of the game industry as it, as it exists right now, where a lot of games start with someone comes up with a, a, a cool idea or a cool feature that they like, and then they reverse engineer a game out of that. You know, like somebody says, I just came up with really awesome ragdoll physics, and I want to make a game that somehow uses ragdoll physics. Uh, but the game's not about that. They, like, come up with some random story and all this, and, and it gets kind of all just piecemeal together, which is analogous to saying... Uh, well, just you read about the history of, of most major games. They, the, the difference being, uh, Genova says, I want the player to feel a certain way. What game makes them feel that way? Most games don't start from the standpoint of, I want you to feel this as your emotional takeaway. How do I create a game that does that? That's all I'm saying. Uh, and, um, and that, to me, that is why they hold playtesting as a, such an important part of their process. Because they play the game for someone, and even if the technical polish is missing, that inherent emotional quality should be there on some level, so that they show it, and it's really rough, and the and uh, somebody says, uh, you know, or they ask them, how did that make you feel? If they didn't feel the way that they are supposed to, they know that there's that there's something missing, uh, because the technical polish won't make the difference of them feeling that way. And so, yeah, they playtest the living crap out of these things. Uh, I mean, that's not true. It's not like they have playtesters 24 hours a day or something like that. But they, they definitely they definitely do it a lot. They take it into, you know... What is a lot? Well, it, it, it varied through the production process, but in the last year, there was, like, every few weeks um, uh, a playtest where it would be official through Sony marketing where people would be brought in and we would... We would uh, or not marketing necessarily, but Sony had their, like, people that would go find... 
total, uh, you know, blank slate folks, and we could all watch them play in the like, cool command center where we could see their face as they were playing the game, and we could see the screen of what they were seeing in sync with each other so that we could be gauging, like, they look bored, they they don't look bored, you know, like, and really know, and then, of course, you find bugs like crazy blah, that way, uh, and... Uh, and really get a sense. And then, and then, like, Robin or someone would go in there and workshop with them for, you know, an hour and say, how did you feel at this moment? How did you feel at this? And they'd get these elaborate questionnaires, but all based around the emotion. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was hugely helpful for me because from the music standpoint, um, you know, the music is coming from the same philosophy. I want you to, you know, Genova wants you to feel a certain way. I'm going to try to write music that feels that way to me. Genova now says, yes, that music makes me feel that way. But if he and I are the only two people on earth that that happens for, then we're not doing it right. I asked if there was any specific changes that he made uh, due to playtapping um, that you can relate. Oh, God, the whole ending of the game. Uh, I'm avoiding any spoilers here, but the end of the game was clearly a, 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 an emotional uplift so we're going for a certain kind of catharsis and a certain kind of emotional release or an emotional high and of the means for achieving that very we, we, we went through a lot of iterations on, on all fronts the art direction of it changed because, a lot because you had it you know most of the playtesting came through value in the aggregate you know 30 people the average of 30 opinions is what would lead to uh the, the useful information, you know, because inevitably someone would have a very opinionated view that they are, you know, no, no one, no one speaks for all. Uh, but we did have one play that that ended up being more powerful and informative than, than you know, individual ones tended to be. And what happened was, um, uh, uh, my old college roommate was visiting from New York, and he was like, I'd love to try the game. So we brought him in for like a private one-off play test. And he played it. He's a gamer. He's, you know, very, he works also in, in advertising and marketing. And, uh, so we're just curious what he would think. And, uh, basically, at the critical moment before that, um, emotional release, um, the game crashed. And oh. <laughs> on a white screen, he thought the game was over. And he sat for like 15 minutes and he came out and had had like this transformative experience. And he was like, he thought it was the most zen, brilliant thing he'd ever played in his life. <laughs> you know, like, the end. So then when he went in, the end fell way short for him and fell totally flat and tacked on. And, and that was like a huge moment of realizing the, the relative success of everything up till that point. And in the end, it got totally redesigned. Now, there were other opinions that, you know, had been boiling up to the airline stewing that, you know, it's not like this one guy, everyone just changed off of his one opinion, but it was really enlightening. Uh, to, you know, so yeah, definitely, musically, I wrote 15,000 versions of, you know, on the soundtrack, it's called Apotheosis. There's a gazillion lesser, sort of crappy, or not even necessarily that, but just such different takes on how to approach the end. Um, and uh, playtesting is what one of the contributing factors. Uh, and, you know, and it's not like a playtester would play it and be dissatisfied and we were shocked. We knew it was, it was, we, we still had more work to do. But yeah, definitely. For those who couldn't make it tonight, this recording will be saved here on Twitch and available for viewing after, and I'll most likely upload it to YouTube as well. My tag there is the Genesee. The MP3 
will be available on iTunes at Gray Area Podcast next week. A big thank you to That Game Company's Aaron and Austin. You can find Aaron on at Amish Gromish, Austin at AustinWintery.com, and their games on the PSN network. You can find out more about Monaco and Andy at PocketWatchGames.com slash Monaco. If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to geneseegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode. Thank you, chat room, and uh, very nice stories that you have to share with everyone. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>